during the pre-service prayer meeting, there was a sense that God would speak to people through the worship. Has anyone heard a particular word from the Lord in worship? Perhaps you'd like to share it. The word I heard was, let your words be few. (laughs) Malibongui, was that it? Malibongui, that's great stuff. I I am (coughs) suffering under a measure of of frustration and disappointment because of what Alan said last week. I know I am elect. I know I am elect from before the foundation of the world. I know I am known, loved, chosen, and forgiven. But last week, Alan was leaping and praising and jumping and praising God, and he was here, and then he was gone. and, And all this was an expression of being elect. So I wanted to do the same. I mean, I'm to get off the ground, but I'm sure I'm elect. read to you the word of the Lord as it is found in Hebrews chapter 12. Consider him who endured such hostility against himself from sinners so that you may not grow weary or lose heart. In your struggle against sin, You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as children. My child, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord or lose heart when you are punished by him. For the Lord disciplines those whom he loves and chastises every child whom he accepts. Endure trials for the sake of discipline. God is treating you as children. For what child is there whom a parent does not discipline? If you do not have that discipline in which all children share, then you are bastards. Illegitimate and not his children. Moreover, we had human parents to discipline us. We respected them. Should we not be even more willing to be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good. In order that we may share his holiness. Now discipline always seems painful rather than pleasant at the time. But later it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. To those who have been trained by it, it's a form of training. Therefore lift up your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. The 
The word of the Lord to us this morning is triggered by a chapter from Bill Johnson's book, God is Good. He's better than you think. But first I need to unload some more baggage. First of all, some good baggage. Do you remember Judith Hawthorne, who used to lead us in worship? She's been appointed as choir mistress at the new Drakensberg School for Girls. So that's wonderful. It's very good news. Jacqueline, our elder daughter, has been ordained yesterday to the ministry of the Anglican Church in Christ Church, Oxford. And quite a few members of Sarepta were there. And the Price Lewis family and the... Yes, she's... In the Anglican system, she's a curate. And uh, there are things you do when you're a curate. And and, uh, she asked another curate, do I do this? He said, no, 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 don't do that. So then she said, well, I'll stay at the back then. She said, no, no, the important people are at the back. You must go in the front. So, 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 uh, It does complete a sort of circle, as Jane says, because uh, in 19... Uh, in 1967, Jane and I withdrew from formal uh, theological training in the Anglican system. My other baggage is more problematic. I find Jesus most offensive. He offends me. I find further on, he intends to do just that. He says to me in Matthew's Gospel, if you do not change, you will not enter into the kingdom. If I don't change. The Gospel was free. He says, if you do not change, you will not enter the kingdom. That's what he says to me. I'm offended by that. Well, how do you want me to change? Unless you become as a little child, you shall not enter the kingdom. Bang goes my doctorates in theology and all that stuff. They don't have any Another point where Jesus offends me, and there are many, if you haven't been offended by Jesus, you haven't read the word of God. He says, you cannot serve God and please man. So if I'm to serve God, I've got to be unpopular. Thanks very much. (laughs) Now for some for revisions. This is really for Dorothy Bowden here. The disciples asked Jesus, in a certain context, who then can be saved? 
And the question is, saved from what? Saved from what? Who then can be saved? Saved from what? Saved from yourself. Well done, that's very shrewd. But it's more than that. That's quite true. To be saved from oneself is a wonderful liberty. It doesn't happen very often. <laughs> saved from what? Sa- what? Saved from hell, saved from death, saved from sins and all that. But the essence of the context is saved from the wrath of God. From which all these other concepts fit in. The wrath of God is presented in Romans chapter 1. And and Alan, when he wasn't leaping around like a dervish, was doing Colossians 3 last week and, and... he showed us that the wrath of God was revealed against all the natural sins of the flesh. So as natural as breathing. I've been reminded, uh, and uh, oh God, like Alois will remember this, some of you will remember. In the 70s, there was an Argentinian Pentecostal preacher called Juan Carlos Ortiz. Do you remember him? With his yellow canary blazer. And he spoke about the fifth gospel. The fifth gospel was the gospel of St. Evangelicals. St. Matthew, St. Mark, St. Luke, and St. John. And the gospel of St. Evangelicals. Earth are you talking about? He said, the gospel of St. Evangelicals is the gospel of all those parts in the New Testament which you've underlined. And he said, now go back and read the other bits. Well, I had underlined the scripture which says, fear not, little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I said, I'll sign up for that. I underline that. Three underlinings. I didn't read the next verse. The next verse said, sell all you have and give it to the poor. (laughs) Gospel of St. Evangelicals. Ah. Uh, Mary Ellen in a prayer meeting last Monday, I think it was, said the clock is ticking. And uh, the seeds of time are running out. The clock is ticking. Are you ready? It's a diversion. I have heard that the doctrines of Freemasonry and reincarnation are an abomination to God. Oh, I've got another toy here. This 
is a plumb line. Used by builders to make sure the wall is straight. And what Christians do, they swing the pendulum from one extreme doctrine, which is a heresy, to an opposite extreme doctrine, which is also a heresy. The plumb line, which is a biblical reference, is the plumb line of God's word on which we build our faith system. And when I was at my very severe Christian school, which operated on the basis of Sparta, I mean, I went to two of them, the age of seven to 17. I mean, today, my parents would be head up. But in those days, God was love all right, it was his job, but he was severe. My shame, this was Mary Ellen, and she said, yes, that was true. I knew the God of love with a rod. And the rod was more eminent than the love. And, and, and that was where the plumb line was, and it was, it was not attractive. And then today, we have tended to go to an extreme of grace, which is interpreted as a a license. And and for the first few months of this year, I mean, Rosemary's up there. She's the heresy hunter for the church. She... uh, you think, where's this business about sin and the wrath of God and, and, ju- and judgment? <clears throat> and then she went off to Chicago. And while she was there, we had, we had John Alcock. We had Tim Briscoe. We had Alex Hewitson. And boy, did they dangle us over the fires of hell. They, they certainly brought the plumb line back into the center. Of course... We knew by then all about the love of God, the immeasurable love of God, his kindness, his gentleness, his patience, his forgiveness. But in the context of our salvation from the wrath of God, (coughs) Jonathan Edwards was a missionary to who used to be called (coughs) the Red Indians in, in Canada or America. Uh, they're now First Nation or whatever. And, and he came back to England after many years, faithful preaching and not making a single convert. And he preached a sermon in London called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And it was so vivid and so anointed, people were falling to their knees in terror. And one guy in the gallery was holding on to, uh, to a pillar. He was saying, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going, help me. Uh, so there's a, the God who is love, the God who is good, is also the God who is still angry. 
God is angry still. The wrath of God is revealed. Alan gave it to us last week. Johannes Facius was a Dane who was the president of Intercessors International. And they had a worldwide movement of intercession. And during the 1967 war against Israel, Scud missiles were coming from Damascus over to Jerusalem and Tel Aviv. And Johannes Facius and his team, and some of his international team of intercessors, were along the border on the Golden Heights praying and interceding against those Scud missiles. Some of them were diverted. Some of them turned round. One or two got through, but very few. He's a man of spiritual authority. (coughs) He said this, God is angrier in the New Testament than he was in the Old. Wow. When the Lord respectfully threw his toys out of his cot several times in the Old Testament, when in the days of Noah he wanted to wipe out the whole scene, and then again he got fed up with Israel and said, I've had enough of you lot, I'm going to blot you out. And Moses says, but then the heathen won't say you were over. And, and then and Kohathites, the, the priests, they did a rebellion against Moses. And God said, I've had enough of this lot. And he said, bring them to the tent. Line them all up. And then he, men, women, and children, the ground opened and they went right down. And Johannes Fessius says, he's he's angry in the New Testament than the Old. Thanks, Lord. (laughs) Yes, Lord. No, Lord. No questions, Lord. I mean, just before the meeting, up comes Christina. I mean, she should have been wearing a hat. She was drinking something while she was singing. We started, started dancing after. I don't know what, what the content. But don't mumble. She said, uh, will there be seas in the, in the new kingdom? She said, certainly not. There aren't any seas. She said, well, I want to see dolphins. all about. There may be dolphins, there may not be dolphins. Christine, it'll be on God's terms, not yours. So in, in Bill Johnson's book, uh, God is good. Uh, I've got to hand this over to Zolani. This chapter on love requires judgment. Love requires judgment. He says categorically, if love doesn't require judgment, love is not love. When Jesus comes back, he's not coming back as Savior. He's coming back as the Avenger. 
on those who don't believe. Mark Bickle says that God's judgment is released against everything that gets in the way of God's blessings. God has a desire to bless, to bless his people. God has a desire that the world should know who he is because of his blessings on his people. And Bickle says that the judgment of God comes upon those things that get in the way of those blessings like our sin. God's a God of judgment. But, uh, Bill Johnson, God is good, warns us against wriggling out of those scriptures which you haven't underlined. Like the fear of the Lord. And Eugene Peterson in this marvelous book Christ plays in 10,000 places. I do recommend it. I'm reading it slowly for the second time. This matter of the fear of the Lord. Eugene Peterson says, our understanding of the fear of the Lord is not about a a dictionary definition of, of reverence and fear and humility and awe. I mean, we sang about awe and all that's beautiful. But Eugene Peterson says, the fear of the Lord is a lifestyle of walking all the time in God consciousness. I remember Annie Murray once. She said, I don't call myself a Christian because Christian can mean anything. I call myself a follower of Jesus Christ. That's the fear of the Lord. So, uh, this business of uh, Johnson being, you know, soft on discipline is not true. Now, Johnson believes there's going to be an end-time revival which is going to sweep hundreds of thousands into the kingdom. And the trigger for that revival is going to be the manifold and manifest blessings of God on his people. Manifold means many, and manifest means visible. And that the world which... And naturally speaking, hates God and all its religious diversions is going to be swept into the kingdom because they see the goodness and the blessing of God in God's people. And he uses as a model the Queen of Sheba. Because the Queen of Sheba visited Solomon and saw that Solomon's servants were all dressed like princes. And she said, I can see that God, I can see that God is in your midst. And Moses, in his quite heated discussions with God at times, says, don't blossom us out. 
And, and David would say the same. We want the heathen to know that you are with us because they see your blessings upon us. So the God who is good and who is love judges everything that prevents his beloved from receiving his blessings. Things like sin. God who is love hates. He's not only angry, but God hates. God who is love hates. Oh, come on now, come on, come on, come on. Jacob have I loved. Esau have I hated. He also hates the Nicolaitans. The Nicolaitans. Some say that the Nicolaitans are in Revelation 2 or 3. God, he hates the Nicolaitans. He, he hates Freemasonry. He hates the doctrines of universalism. Johnson underlines that. Uh, he, he hates the doctrines of reincarnation. He hates the religion of Islam, but not the Muslims. He hates the practice of homosexuality, but not homosexuals. He loves homosexuals. So God hates. He hates, perhaps above all, those who reject the revelation of Jesus Christ, the Savior who came to give eternal life to all mortals who believe in him. God is angry and God hates. And then as we read in the, as, as we read in the passage of Hebrews, God disciplines or disciples us, whom he loves. If we're not disciplined as his children, we're bastards. It says illegitimate in the, in, in the uh, NIV has polite meaning. We're disciplined, which means trained to walk in the fear of the Lord so that God may bless us out of our socks and the heathen may come and find out about this God who is such a blessing God. So though God may be angry, he's not angry with us. That's the good news. God's not angry with us. <laughs> he was before we were born again. But he's not angry with us. His righteous fury and judgment has passed over us onto the Lamb of God. That's what the Passover is. Remember the story in the Exodus from Egypt. God is not angry with us, and he doesn't hate us, he loves us. Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Esau is the ego man. 
He loves us. We are beloved. We were even strange enough beloved before we were born again. Ooh. Clock sticking. All right. Let your words be few. I have decided not to take offense anymore at the challenge of God's loving dealings with me. I do know I am loved by God. Ouch. Amen.